This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn in for John today. Big hour coming up. We'll, we'll uh, talk about birth control. We'll do that with Timory Jaja, host of Trending with Timory. Weeknights at 6 here on Relevant Radio. Father Burke Masters and studying scripture coming up as well. But first off, we'll start with Mary Helen Fiorito, regular guest here on Morning Air and attorney and talking about news out of Wisconsin in a uh, couple different spots not far from one another. Mary, great to have you along this morning. Hi, good morning, Glenn. Good morning to all your listeners. Well, sad news uh, happening late yesterday afternoon out of Waukesha, Wisconsin, a Christmas parade, which uh, they were happy to hold because they couldn't last year due to COVID. And then a car comes racing through the parade route, appearing to aim for several. At this point, five have been pronounced dead, over 40 injured. Tragic situation, children involved as well. And uh, we don't know a ton about that yet. Uh, Coming up later this morning, there'll be yet another Press conference, uh, they've been a, a little slow to announce, but careful to announce things. Uh, as we watched coverage last night, uh, they wanted to make sure those who had lost loved ones were notified before uh, word got out. A person of interest has been uh, taken into custody, as well as the vehicle that was involved. And uh, Mary, as well, sad to note that a uh, Catholic priest and uh, several parishioners of the Waukesha Catholic community affected by this, too. Yes, I, I saw that the Archdiocese of Milwaukee released a statement confirming that one of their priests uh, and multiple Catholic school children uh, are among the injured. And as you mentioned, they're not releasing the names of those who are deceased yet, but it's at five, and that number could go significantly higher, given that, um, from what I understand, a lot of the injuries were um, to small children, and some of them head and neck injuries. In fact, I, I was with a friend just on Friday night at a Catholic school event, and we had a really nice chat, and I found out about 4 o'clock this morning that his little cousin, who's only three years old, is among the injured and is uh, Mm. with some pretty serious neck and head injuries. So if your listeners would keep her in your prayers, um, she's a little three-year-old, so you can't even imagine this multiplied by 40 different families and additional five families who lost loved ones. It's just just horrific. And, you know, Waukesha is kind of a suburb of Milwaukee for those unfamiliar with the Midwest. And uh, really not far at all from Kenosha, which is where the, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse rather, um, wrapped up on Friday with the not guilty verdict in all five of the charges. So, you know, these are kind of small Midwestern, you know, Wisconsin communities, um, you know, once again now here and in, in right in the crosshairs of national media attention. And, um, you know, this, these are not communities accustomed to having you know, uh, to the Today Show and everything else rolling into town. So um, it's this has got to be really overwhelming for all of the residents. Lots of folks, Mary, to keep in prayer. Uh, absolutely, uh, those affected in Waukesha. And uh, to see a, a young one uh, hurt like that is uh, is horrible for, for anyone to see. And uh, more news throughout the day on that, of course. We don't know much about the uh, the driver at this point. Any kind of connection between that and the 
Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict would be purely speculation. Uh, we just don't know yet at this point, and uh, presumably we'll hear a little more uh, as the as the day wears on as well. Touching base on the the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict uh, that at the at the time was the the biggest news out of uh, Wisconsin as of Friday night uh, cleared on all five charges against him. Yes, and um, you know the longer the jury was out, uh, the the more I was convinced in my own mind that they were going to find him guilty of at least one of the five charges against him. But, you know, they obviously deliberated very carefully and very thoroughly. They, uh, one of the jurors even asking the presiding judge uh, for permission to take some of the jury instructions home with her um, the night before the verdict. So this is obviously something that they considered. They considered all the evidence. I watched most of the trial, most of the testimony and it seemed clear to me that when you apply Wisconsin law to the facts of the case, um, that he was acting in self-defense, as Wisconsin law would uh, define it. And I do think the jury reached the right verdict. It's been very distressing, though, you know, to see the, the reaction of some other organizations and, and people to the verdict. It seemed very clear to me, you know, like in one case, in, in one of the uh, he shot three men, two of them died, but, you know, one of the, the men he shot, the man who survived, admitted he was pointing a gun at him at the time uh, Carl Rittenhouse shot him. And um, the, the the kind of um, manipulation of the facts in, in by and, and the part of some people in the press has really been troubling and disturbing. And, um, for example, the head of the NAACC, NAACP um, said that the, the verdict was worse than the Emmett Till trial. And I think to, you know, conflate those two things is really irresponsible. I mean, the Emmett Till, you know, Emmett Till, for those who don't remember, was a 14-year-old black boy from Chicago who, while visiting friends and family in the in the South, was, was kidnapped by a group of white men and murdered. And this is nothing like what happened in the Emmett Till trial um, in 1955, Mississippi. I mean, this, this, uh, this young man got a fair trial it with impartial jurors and a judge who many speculated was going to declare a mistrial because the prosecution, you know, made so many errors um, and sort of took advantage of certain things. But the judge let this go to a jury and the jury came back with five not guilty verdicts. And, and I think they did the right thing. Um, but to compare it to something like that, I think is so inflammatory at a time when, you know, racial tensions are already high and political divisions are already very deep and wide and I just don't think that was a very responsible comment to make. But all of that being said, you know, what might, might be of particular interest to your listeners is that there have been a lot of analogies drawn between this particular case and the case of Nicholas Sandman, who was the young man from Covington Catholic High School, Covington, Kentucky, who was at the March for Life and was falsely accused by the media um, in a wide swath of articles and online posts of having mocked a Native American man who had been present at the march, uh, which turned out to be absolutely false, not the case at all. He won two multi-million dollar settlements from the Washington Post and CNN. Um, and there's a lot of speculation that uh, Cal Rittenhouse will also likely file civil suits against the media outlets who branded him uh, a terrorist, who branded him um, uh, associated with white supremacist groups, which he is not. Um, in fact, he said in an interview following his acquittal that he supported the Black Lives Matter movement, that he was not involved in any white supremacist groups. So it'll be interesting to see 
uh, whether or not his attorneys do proceed with um, a civil defamation suit. Um, a lot of speculation that they're going to do so. And in fact, Nicholas Sandman, the young man from Covington Catholic, uh, tweeted out that he had spoken to Kyle over the weekend and that they had a good conversation and that he was um, he certainly could empathize and sympathize with everything that Kyle Rittenhouse had gone through. Watching the coverage on uh, Friday night, it seems several outlets, uh, even though there were some protest marches around the country, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge shut down for a little while as well Friday night, but some outlets almost seemed disappointed that there were not outright riots uh, after after that verdict. And uh, Mary, just final question before we let you go here. What can we do to kind of, you know, even in our own lives and conversations, kind of tamp down, you know, making everything being political, everything being one team versus the other? Right. Well, I think it's really important um, for people to inform themselves. Like, for example, if you're at your Thanksgiving table and the Rittenhouse verdict comes up, do a little bit of you know research beforehand, not necessarily to bring it up at the dinner table. But then if it does come up, then you have um, you know some, some information to be able to share that other people might not have. For example, I'm still hearing on the radio that Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, Rittenhouse rather, cross state lines with a rifle. No, he didn't cross state lines with a rifle. First of all, you know, he lives on the Illinois side of the Wisconsin-Illinois border, but his father lived in Kenosha. So this is his grandmother, and he worked not far away. He worked in a small town in Wisconsin called Pleasant Prairie. So he was always going back and forth between Wisconsin and Illinois, and the gun was being uh, that, that, he, that was used in that shooting was being kept at a friend's house in Wisconsin. He didn't take a gun over state lines to go and kill people. But um, probably the most objective source I would recommend uh, and this is a person who I probably wouldn't ideologically come down on the same side of the fence on a lot of different issues, but a former New York Times uh, political reporter named Bari Weiss, B-A-R-I, uh, Weiss, W-E-I-S-S, has something called, um, uh, I think she calls it, more importantly, she has a, um, a blog, and she has really gone in in depth into um, what really happened here. She was a good investigative reporter when she was with the New York Times, um, interviews other reporters who followed this story, and she also came to the conclusion and analogized it to the Covington Catholic case. So I'd recommend, you know, your listeners, first of all, educate yourself, uh, Google Bari Weiss and go to her Substack or her podcast and listen to that. It's a short listen. Um, but then secondly, you know, it's it's always good, as, as I think we always do on Relevant Radio when we're talking about things, try to look at things through the eyes of faith and really kind of try to put yourself into the other person's shoes, even for a moment to see why they might be experiencing the kind of anger and frustration that they are over this case. I'm kind of surprised it generated the sort of national attention that it is, um, that it did rather and it continues to, because, you know, it's, you, you have a, an instance of a white man who shot three other white men. And I don't understand still how this is being sort of twisted into being a racially motivated shooting when it wasn't. So again, always arm yourself with the facts, try to lead with charity and understanding. Um, and then if you have to pivot and move the conversation someplace else for the sake of peace, I think that's, that's always the charity is always the bigger thing to do. Mary Helen Fiorito, attorney and regular guest on Morning Air. Thank you, Mary, for always weighing in on the tough stuff with us this morning as we continue with Morning Air. And uh, Father Burke Masters joins us now, our regular Monday guest. Father, want to start a little bit here with your role as a priest and a chaplain, as you are, for the Chicago Cubs baseball team. What do you say? What do you say to family members, those who are near and dear, that may have lost someone in just an unspeakable tragedy like what happened in Waukesha last night? Yeah, those are those difficult moments that 
oftentimes words fall short, but uh, our presence is so needed. You know, when I did CPE, which is our uh, practicum in hospitals to you know prepare us for difficult situations, being with people and families as as people die. Um, they talk about the ministry of presence and just bringing Christ's presence to people in those moments where, yeah, words fall short. Um, and then, you know, eventually bringing out our, our message of hope in the resurrection. Uh, but in, the, in those first moments of crisis, it's just walking with them, letting them know that the Lord, the church is, is walking with them in their grief. And that quietly, you know, our, our message of hope in the resurrection uh, uh, walks with them, but very, very difficult situation. And uh, as always, Father, that good uh, grief helper advice, uh, don't worry so much about trying to say the perfect thing because that often falls flat, but just just be there, right? Just have our presence to, to be there. Yeah, that that's the most important thing in, in a time like this. And, you know, to hear that one of uh, their priests was, one of the ones injured too. So, um, you know, he and his family uh, will be the ministering as well. So I've never been in a a tragedy, you know, where many, many people have been injured or or killed, but I have been with individual families and oftentimes just knowing that, you know, especially as a priest that I bring the presence of Christ with me, um, that, I just go in and just want to be there and listen and be present. And uh, oftentimes, days, months, and years later, people will say that that's all we needed at that moment, that, to know that we weren't alone in our suffering. Nothing, of course, can prepare us for something like that, but being grounded in Scripture can help us in all sorts of ways throughout life, uh, not only to cope with things ourselves, but to help others, as well as honoring the Lord by knowing more about him and his will as well. One of the ways you're working on to help make that happen is the Be Formed series. Yes, uh, one of the things that came out of COVID uh, here is I kept hearing, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, keep keep my people connected to me and to one another. And so we, we started this Be Formed ministry that was online where, you know, I provided a, a daily video for formation. We've got people into small groups uh, where they're, they're sharing with one another. And then within the small groups, people have a prayer partner where daily they're checking in with one another. And we've just found in, in a year um, how it's really meeting a need. And right now we're going through the liturgy of the word in the mass and just trying to help people understand why we why we do what we do as Catholics during the Mass. And so uh, this past week we were going over the readings and really paying attention to, you know, if sometimes we go to Mass um, hoping to be entertained, you know, with a good homily and good music. And um, I'm really encouraging people to to prepare for Mass, especially by praying with the Scriptures for that Mass, you know, 15 minutes before you go. Because often we'll, you know, you'll hear a baby cry or somebody will cough or you get distracted or you're thinking about the things you have to do that afternoon and you miss the readings. And often we'll say the word of the Lord, but we don't know what we've just uh, just heard. But if we prepare before we go to Mass, we're much more likely to be able to engage, not only in 
hearing the message that Christ wants to speak to us in the readings for the day, but also engage uh, the priest or the deacon in the homily. And uh, I guarantee what you take away from that Mass will be uh, much deeper if we go in prepared. Uh, whenever I, you know, when uh, the Harry Potter books were really popular, I remember talking to middle schoolers and I said, how many of you read the whole book? And some are five, six, seven hundred pages before you go watch the movie. And they would excitedly raise their hands. And said, how many of us read the readings of the day before we go to mass? You know, and it takes about five minutes and you know, all the hands would go down. And so we get excited about watching a movie. I want us to get ex- as much more excited to, to hear God's message of hope and love. You know, going back to the story in Wisconsin, the Word of God, you know, as it takes root in our hearts, can give us so much hope um, because, you know, Jesus Christ is our hope. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection. And, uh, you know, St. Jerome says, ignorance of Scripture is, ign- is ignorance of Christ. So the more that we, you know, prepare to hear the Word of God before we go to Mass and, and after we go to Mass, uh, the more the hope of Christ will dwell within us. Well, Father, for radio, we need to do show prep, right, to kind of uh, get ready and uh, learn a little bit about the guests that are coming up and make sure we know what's going on in the world, to talk uh, effectively and intelligently about that, and to do a little show prep before you go to, to Mass, right? It would include checking out those readings, even a movie where we go to be entertained. We might read a review beforehand or uh, certainly have seen a preview or a trailer or something like that. And so to be prepared, one of those those great ways, really, it, it's so easy on the USCCB website with the daily readings for you right there every day. That's a great way to get a little little piece of Scripture each and every day, including uh, for Sunday as well. And as much as there is to learn our entire lives as Catholics, as an adult convert, uh, familiarity with Scripture was something I, I did have. And so just want to encourage others that it doesn't have to be this big, scary mystery. It's certainly a mystery in that uh, we can read the same thing at different points of life and learn something different from it, be moved in a in a different way as our Lord designed. But uh, my goodness, feel free to dive in just with little bite-sized pieces with the daily readings for starters. Yeah, that's that's a great way. You know, when people get excited, we're coming up, you know, this, this coming weekend's the beginning of a new liturgical year. Of course, January 1st, the new calendar year people start to make resolutions. And one of the things people might do is to say, I want to read the whole Bible. And I would recommend, as you're saying, you know, work with the church's lectionary because it's beautifully laid out uh, according to the seasons. And, you know, it takes five minutes or so to read. And if we spend 10, 15 minutes praying with those scriptures, um, uh, you know, it, it starts to come alive within us. You know, one of the ways, uh, I want us to prepare for Mass is to say, the Lord wants to speak to me today. The Lord wants to speak to my heart. And uh, I go with this excitement to say, he's got a message for me. You know, Matthew Kelly recommends that we take uh, our Mass journal with us to Mass, you know, and even if it's one, one line, one word that jumps out at us, God is speaking to us in the Word of God. Um, so to, to prepare ourselves for, for Mass in that way. And, and one of the things I would, I would leave us with is to realize that the Bible is, is God's love story for us. You know, the Old Testament is, is preparation uh, and prophecy about Christ 
and the New Testament is this fulfillment of, you know, the great hope that God has become one with us, and he died on the cross for us to save us from our sins. And uh, there's no better message of love anywhere. And so come come prepared, come with an excitement and anticipation uh, at Mass by preparing and praying with the Scriptures. Father, we always love the wisdom you bring us each and every week, and uh, we appreciate you letting us borrow a little of your time today to talk about some of the events in Wisconsin. And if we could ask you, even on the spur of the moment here, for maybe a, a prayer of peace over the situation as we leave you today, or for the folks in Waukesha. Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you sent, sent us your Son, Jesus, as the Prince of Peace. Just ask you to Send your peace upon the people in Waukesha, especially uh, to the families of those who have lost loved ones, those who have died. May your son, who is the resurrection and the life, give us all hope and comfort during these times of tragedy. Mother Mary, we ask you to wrap your mantle around them, protect them. Let's lead us all closer to your son, Jesus. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen, Father Burke Masters. Thank you very much. Uh, Father Burke joins us most Mondays here on Morning Air. Morning Air continues. We'll check in with a host of Trending with Timory, talking about uh, why the, the hashtag Thanks Birth Control was trending recently on Twitter. We'll talk about that with that uh, great voice for life. Timory Jaja next as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Thank you to our longtime sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Enroll now in Solidarity One, a new program with expanded options to fit any healthcare budget. Solidarity One offers access to prescription drugs and new discounts for seniors. Learn more about this exciting new healthcare at CatholicHealthShare.com. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It is Monday. It's morning air. Glenn in for John. Still trying to hook up with Timory. We hope to do that before the hour is through. We want to bring you a conversation now I've had with Father Jeremy Plouffe from the Diocese of St. Cloud, Minnesota, talking about the challenges we have and some uh, possible solutions for getting young folks more engaged in church. Getting young people back to church. There's a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done in the wake of COVID and just kind of general demographic trends and maybe some slow to come back after some of the church scandals and the like. But uh, always, no matter how things are rolling along, we need to keep the church alive for the next generation. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about reaching young folks today and uh, and what that takes. And it used to be, Father, that uh, the, the pattern would be hopefully kids get going when they're baptized and show up every week for religious ed and uh, get confirmed and keep on going and uh, never stop. Uh, not an uncommon way was kids to maybe fall away a little bit toward college and in return, and certainly when it was time to get married and have kids and get them baptized and all of that. But none of that seems automatic anymore. Do we need to kind of uh, camp out on that reality a little bit and, and know that our work is cut out for us? Absolutely, and and I, I think that's that's a great observation, uh, Glenn. About you know this is not uh, your, your your grandfather's church, you might say, in that uh, that usual progression of you know there might be a hiccup or two during the college years, but for the most part, everybody is back in line or back in the pews and and contributing to the parish not only with their finances but also with their time. 
but, but we're, you're absolutely right in that we're not seeing this anymore. And, and I think a mistake that, that a lot of us will fall into, and, and I'm just as guilty as anyone on this, is to just sort of get frustrated and say, well, they should be. They, they should be coming. It's their responsibility. It's their obligation. They should be coming. And, and while that's true, you know, the baptized have the obligation to attend Mass, you know, I, I think rather than just saying that or deciding that or declaring that, we, we need to have an, uh, a, a more forward-moving angle of, well, even if that is their obligation and they're not fulfilling that obligation, maybe there's something you and I and everyone else out there, maybe there's something we can do to help them fulfill that obligation or help them even realize this is not merely an obligation, but a great thing to do, attend Mass. One of the things a recent study showed is that kids as young as 12, 13 years old made that decision to maybe as much as it's in their power to, to quit going. Those that would fall away, the falling away happens younger and younger. I believe that must have been a shock to several. Sure, sure. And, and, and certainly it, it still uh, it surprises me uh, hearing those numbers again and again. Uh, of uh, It's certainly not something that would have occurred to me that young. Although, I mean, I will admit, you know, if my parents would have said, hey, you can sleep in this Sunday, I probably would have been all about that. Sounds great, Mom, no worries. <laughs> but but uh, to that end, there is something, again, something fresh in the air, something new in the water where uh, questioning uh, any authority, the Church included, is certainly part of the mix uh, in, in school these days and in the culture of the young and, and, and not to be excluded from the culture of the more seasoned adults, middle-aged and higher, where we say, you know, maybe I'm not quite so sure about the Church anymore. I'm not quite so sure about Mass. And so not only do we need to re-engage our own self and make sure that I'm not just coming to Mass out of old habit, this is what I do on Sunday morning as opposed to Tuesday morning, but also make sure that, hey, I help other people realize, hey, Mass is important, I might not be able to articulate every single reason in the moment, but I can help myself out and then hopefully help others in coming to find those answers of why coming to Mass together on Sunday is super important. And uh, maybe just a, a little bit of uh, proper respect, uh, Father, to building that habit, though. I mean, going because you have to until you realize all the other reasons why you ought to want to be there. Yes, and, and I, I remember a friend of mine uh, in college, he was a year behind me in college, uh, he talked about, uh, he liked to use that word naivete, which it's not my favorite word, but he, he, he said exactly what, what you're saying, Glenn, in, in that you know, at some point we just do uh, even homework at school because we have to. You know, we're not going to get to go out for recess if we don't have our homework done. But then hopefully at some point, will come to appreciate learning for its own sake, or appreciate learning because I'm interested in this topic, or appreciate learning because I want to have a career in this field, and so I better know that field, I better know that science inside and out if I want to be successful at my future job or career. And so there's something similar with the church. And like, yes, there's a sense of, yes, we have to go to church, and maybe a vague sense of, you know, it's important to go to Mass. But then also in that following through with that going to Mass, coming to realize why this is important, making it our own, and then just like the careerist, get excited about doing that worship at Mass. Also along those lines, in terms of 
not letting ourselves think it's so much of a, a choice as much as well it's a it's an obligation but a happy obligation to be there and thinking of not so much even the the jobs we can do as volunteers around the parish but even at mass we can be helpful to others by being there and it's not only for our own amusement or the feelings that we may or may not get on any given week sure i mean in all sorts of ways of just inspiring people by your own presence just like hey john and jane doe showed up that that moves me to to recognize, hey, maybe I was dragging myself here, but John and Jane Doe came, and, and, and golly, that might inspire me to, to be more uh, fervent in my attendance at Mass. Or, or even just the simplest thing, I mean, even laying aside, uh, as you said, you know, volunteering with stuff at the church, even just saying, I'm going to sing out whether my voice isn't the best or always on key, or maybe I don't even know the, the tune, but that can even in itself, that simple thing of, all right, I'm going to give it what I got as long as I'm here, that can move so many other people to just not only feel more comfortable being at Mass, more comfortable participating in Mass, but even inspire them just by that simple, almost effortless thing of singing at Mass to make sure they can be all the more fervent themselves and saying, I want to explore why this Christian thing is so important, because I see these other people singing at Mass and celebrating the Eucharist. That can be just the thing that, that pushes the person who might just be on the edge of not being so confident in coming to Mass to say, I want to find out why this Christian thing is so important. Brother Jeremy Plouffe, our guest, talking about re-engaging young people in our parishes, getting them to stay, getting them to come back, and uh, doing a better job of, of both of those things. Uh, I think we, we talked a little bit about that, you know, age around 12, 13, when kids start to think a little more for themselves and enter those wonderful teen years, uh, sometimes deciding to, to move away from the faith a bit. But I think during those years, for me, I uh, grew up and went to Sunday school, depending how often my folks would drop me off. Some years were better or more involved than others. But uh, during 7th and 8th grade, we had to show up every week for our Lutheran confirmation and uh, learned a lot about the nuts and bolts, you know, put little pieces and snips here and there together. And then about the same time, the movie Jesus of Nazareth, which is one of the most excellent ah. film versions of the life of our Lord, was uh, on TV at the same time. And that was a one-two punch for me to the degree that I was so fired up. I even remember writing a little graffiti in my math book that Jesus lives, you know, <laughs> and I mean, how, nice. how crazy was that? And so, uh, you know, I was on fire at that point, and we had a pretty good youth group, a really good youth group, and, and that got me going quite a lot. Even the youth Sunday school stuff was good for high schoolers, uh, let alone the, the field trips and things like that that we would take. But then I soon was drawn upon to start teaching the, I think, sixth graders myself as a high schooler because we needed anybody that was willing and, and a bit fired up. And, and I missed out a little bit on some of the, the more learning myself. But I think to engage young people, people of any age, when they're at those points of being being fired up, you know, maybe it is during that intensive uh, confirmation education. Maybe it's, you know, at whatever point in life, it's, uh, it's something you can tell. If you're in their life, you're in that young person's life, and that faith light bulb seems to have gone off or started to burn a little more brightly, you know, let's uh, continue to, to activate them. You know, I think, Glenn, that that, that experience of yours in, in your high school years and, and, and middle school years, too, that you were talking about, see, that, that just gets me like, we, we already have the answer. You know, we, we don't need a, a new program you know, or, or this complicated study of, well, what are we going to do to 
slightly more encourage a, a higher percentage of people this age to that age to attend mass. You know, it's it's you know, no deposit, no return. Uh, another friend of mine from college, he was a senior when I was a freshman. He kept saying to me, like anyone can smell phony miles and miles away. But when we have your testimony here, Glenn, about, hey, I was so excited, I wrote in my math, in my math book, Jesus Lives, and I even said, I'm going to help teach the elementary school kids, even though I'm only in high school. That's, that's the, the secret sauce. That's the, hey, we have this excitement and right, no deposit, no return, so if I'm going to get something out of this, I better put something into it myself. And, and that's what's so exciting, too, to see when we have great examples of lots of great young people, whether it's middle school, high school, college, or 20-somethings, where, where we see them like, yes, I do value this, and I see the value in that, and they want to put more into the holy faith. And, and that alone can give a lot of us a great deal of joy and excitement and, and, that, and then catch fire ourselves from their excitement. But then hopefully... Uh, in all of us saying, this is important to me, I want to light the fire for other people to see as well, to not get discouraged by the uh, lack of immediate results or the fact that, you know, maybe some people who we're really hoping we'd reach are not so receptive. You know, we have to play the long game, if you will, and, and say, like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep on doing the best for the church, the best for the faith, and then hopefully over the long term we'll get a lot more people a lot more excited to share what we already can see. We've talked earlier, Father, about uh, a survey showing the different reasons why people begin attending church. And far in a way, just blowing everything else out of the water, was a personal invitation from someone else. Hey, a friend saying, hey, join me, come along, let's go to this, let's go to that, let's go to ma a Mass. That was like 80-some percent compared to anything else, and I think uh, a pastoral visit was maybe 6% and maybe 2% for advertising or any kind of fancy marketing campaigns we do, that really speaks to that power. And coupled with the authenticity, especially this younger generation today, uh, you know, maybe the baby boomers were used to being sold all the time, so they almost kind of expect a little bit of spin and try to communicate in that way, but authenticity wins the day anymore for sure. So, uh, you know, that, that no frills. Hey, come on along. I know you haven't been there before, and there's a few things that'll seem weird, but uh, let's get through it. Maybe you can enjoy the message and uh, worry about when to stand up and sit down later and just, you know, being honest about it. You know, and I, I think so. I think so, and, and everything from uh, from my own uh, limited experience of, of even going to one of the, uh, the the local league baseball games of you know I, I you know, as much as I love baseball like even even for some for, for a local baseball team I, 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 I find myself a little hesitant like ah, I don't know if I'm going to go to a game but somebody else just says to me like hey I go sometimes why don't we you know get a ticket on the same day and we'll meet each other there that kind of gets me like okay yes now now I'm going to go and see what this uh, local baseball team is all about. And, and all the more so with the faith in that it, it's, it tends to be something where we see the faith so often as, as this private thing that, hey, like, I don't want to tell anyone else what to believe. And, and, and just the, the frustration that, that this priest, and I'm sure every priest in the diocese has, when people say, like, well, I don't want to tell anyone what to think, or I don't want to invite anyone to Mass because it might make them uncomfortable. It's like, well, goodness sakes, you know, the, the whole point of receiving the faith, receiving grace from the sacraments, 
is to spread the word, share it with others. And, and as, as you were referencing in that survey, Glenn, like just the simplest thing is to say to a friend, a family member, a neighbor, like, hey, let's go to Mass together. Let's go to Mass together. Yeah, sure, as you said, Glenn, it might be some things might look a little weird to you or unusual or unfamiliar, but all the more, I want to show you what greatness is inside those church walls. Oh, what a great gift that would be this holiday season, right? That gift of an invitation to someone. So much happens from that personal invitation. Despite all the fancy multimedia evangelistic efforts we might have, that personal invitation speaks louder than anything. So be brave and be bold and be courageous for Christ this holiday season. And uh, be intentional when uh, you look for folks that you can help with that invitation in that way. Morning Air continues. We'll talk a little Thanksgiving with the weekend co-host of the Family Rosary Across America, Sarah DeFoya, joins us next. Another Glenn Story Corner all coming up as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now, 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Morning here rolls on here. It's Glenn in for John today, getting to come out and play a little bit with you. Thanks for joining us. Our story corner for the day coming up in a bit. And at the top of the hour, the latest on the situation in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where that Christmas parade had a car run right through the middle of it. Uh, Some four lives lost at this point. Some uh, 40-plus folks injured, many small children among those numbers on uh, both the the injured and more. More on that coming up uh, throughout the morning, including the top of the hour next as well. Thanksgiving coming up just a few days away. You're going to talk about that right now with a familiar voice to you. You've heard her on the Family Rosary Across America and a lot of different production elements here on Morning Air and throughout the day on Relevant Radio. Sarah Tafoya joins us. Sarah, do you have your turkey out of the out of the freezer yet? <laughs> I don't do any turkeys, so uh, I'm sure my mother-in-law has the turkey out. I, I'm more of a side dish person. I'm, I, ha- I bring the kids. That's my part. Yeah, very good, very good. I know when our kids were little and we lived out of town and would uh, return to, to the home planet, and uh, that meant two Thanksgivings in the days when the in-laws and the folks were still uh, kicking, and we'd do noon at one spot and uh, 5 o'clock at the next. And so what it allowed you to do was really to have more of what you really liked and then kind of pass on the stuff you didn't like, saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saving room for that at the next place, or, oh, I ate so much at the previous place, I'll have to pass. And it was a, a pretty good deal. But I tell you, bringing the kids as the side dish, I think, was very much a true thing. When they were little, I felt more like a booking agent than a parent almost to make sure they had a, a, a sort of equal amount of time at each grandparent. Uh, how has it been uh, doing that uh, that gig as far as uh, making sure that the kids are enjoying themselves and uh, being enjoyed during the holidays. Yeah, no, they have to make special appearances. Everybody wants to have their FaceTime, uh, actual literal FaceTime, not like on a computer, like with one-on-one with grandkids. Yeah, no, it's 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 always great because there's uh, other co- there's little cousins that are around their age on both sides of my husband's side of the family and my side of the family. So it's always nice to kind of go. And it's weird when I was little, I remember going and you're playing with your cousins, and now I'm the one that's like the adult, and then 
the, my kids are the cousins. So uh, that's it's a fun dynamic to see the difference between when you're an adult and little. And yeah, it's nice to they people require you know the more kids you have, I think they expect less of you. They're like we just you know bring a fruit plate. They give you the the <laughs> the bottom barrel of what is we bring the rolls. You know we don't care. Bring something small. Just bring the kids. So I, I like having the low expectation. And uh, what we do is um, on my on my side of the family, we always do a brunch. And then my my uh, husband's side of the family, they always do a dinner. So we always get a little bit of everything. And now that they're a little bit older, before this this newest one arrives, we always had to say, okay, well, we're going to have nap time in the middle of the day because it's a long day for kids to not have a huge meltdown when they're little. So you have to have that built-in nap time, which was perfect when you're an adult because you've just eaten so much, like you said, Glenn, and then you you need a nap time. So you need that rest in between. But um, yeah, so now we don't necessarily have to have the nap time because our kids are just a li- you know old enough that they can kind of skip that. But yeah, it's fun. It's a fun day. Age, Sarah, tells you that uh, actually what you enjoyed and what you needed when you were a little kid honestly stays with you and you enjoy it and need it as much uh, in old age (laughs) as ever. Hey, what ages are your kids? Uh, My oldest is 10, uh, my daughter, and then I have an eight-year-old and a -a three-and-a-half-year-old and, and, yeah, almost newborn because coming down the pike here, uh, beginning of February, I'll I'll have a little newborn to carry around, so that'll be fun. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah. Excellent. Congratulations on that and invite folks to prayers for the safety of that little one's arrival as well. Uh, You know, we're just starting Advent right around the corner after, uh, you know, maybe that extra helping of leftover stuffing in in Turkey. Uh, As you've been pregnant or having a little infant at Christmas time, uh, as we get into Advent, has that made you see Christmas and Mary's role in, in a little different way, perhaps? You know what? Christmas is a very special time um, for our family and especially more so um, for those listeners who may not know. Uh, my third child was actually stillborn two days after Christmas. So our, our song that we associate with her birth is Silent Night because we sang it as a family as we gathered around um, after she was born. Um, both sides of our family were all present um, after she had uh, been born. And so it it's a every time I hear that song from my husband he's like ah it's not so much my favorite song but to me it brings back a special time where we were together and even though it wasn't like obviously a fun celebration because a baby had passed we were together and we were able to to be with her and um, celebrate her life and you know the, the moments that we did get to have with her so um, when and every Christmas they play that song at mass right right after communion they'll play that song and so I you know the year after she passed I was pregnant with my three and a half year old and they played that song and it was so weird because I, you know, he was born um, in early March. So I was similarly pregnant. It was like it's from when they had played it the Christmas before and I had lost the child. So it, it kind of holds a still a special place. And this year they'll probably play it again and I'll be pregnant again. So it's it's an interesting you think it would be very, very sad, but it is sad in a sense. But it is also like bringing a good time. So it's kind of like bittersweet. So. Um, I, I do love Christmas. I, st- I don't have like a, <laughs> a negative feeling connotation to it because we were still given a great gift, even if we weren't able to hold it for hold on to her for very long. But at the same time, I, you know, it's weird to think yeah, of all the things that Mary went through. I, I love 
um, thinking about uh, her riding on a donkey, and they always show her <laughs> with her legs closed, side saddle. I was like, there is no way I could sit side saddle on a donkey, nine months pregnant, going through like contractions probably because she went into labor as they're coming into the... I just can't even imagine that. I was like, a man must have painted this picture. This is just, just no way <laughs> that a woman was actually doing this. It's just crazy. I can't even imagine. Because I'm, I'm not even close to nine months pregnant. I can't I can't sit for, you know, closed-legged for a long time. It's too uncomfortable. So, I don't know. Maybe Jesus was, you know, in a nice place and he wasn't making it too difficult for his mom. No, probably not. Probably doing as much as he could in the womb, I'm sure, to make it easy for his mother, Mary, as we uh, chat a bit with Sarah Tafoya here about, about uh, Thanksgiving and about Christmas and about life uh, as a pregnant woman like Mary during this time of year as well. And I was going to ask you about that donkey because, and we've worked together at Relevant Radio since you were like a grade school intern. So <laughs> it, it's been it a while, but I thought like if, if anybody, if anybody would uh, relate to being that tough little Jewish girl like Mary sometimes described as, so we would say that uh, you uh, could maybe be the one to imagine that for us. I wanted to to thank you for talking about your loss there as well. And I know you've, you've done that and uh, talked about that with the uh, former and longtime producer uh, for the Drew Mariani show, Cassie Everett's who uh, lost uh, several babies uh, due to miscarriage as well. And uh, it can't be easy, but we appreciate you so much for doing that. And it would be great to have a show to talk about loss during this time of year as well. My mother passed away on uh, on Christmas Eve back in 06. Yeah. And uh, so that might be a good topic for a, a future show. And we'd love to have you back and chat a little bit more about that. But uh, we're out of time for right now. Again, uh, coming up right around the corner, another update uh, on the situation in Wisconsin. Uh, but time to get to our Thanksgiving story corner today. Our story today is called Some Points to Ponder About Thanksgiving. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more fortunate than the million who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture or the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend church without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you're more privileged than 3 billion in the world. If you have some food in the fridge, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, believe it or not, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and some spare change in a dish somewhere, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you can hold someone's hand, hug them, even touch them on the shoulder, you're blessed because you can offer healing touch. If you were to read this message, you're more fortunate than over 2 billion in the world that cannot read at all. And if you hold your head up with a smile on your face and are truly thankful, you're blessed because the majority can, but most do not. From 1 Thessalonians 5.18, good advice from St. Paul, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's our story corner for today. You can always access that uh, online at uh, relevantradio.com and uh, in podcast form as well on the Relevant Radio app. And we take your suggestions for story corners too. Email those. Feel free to reach us morning air at relevantradio.com. Up next, the Patrick Madrid Show, hosted by Father Matthew Spencer today. Talking of a wide variety of things, including the tragedy in Waukesha. The latest on that, uh, Jim's along with that, coming up in just a couple of minutes. Thanks for joining us, John. Back tomorrow morning for Morning Air. Stick around, much more to come here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app.